welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. From a very early age, women are told both explicitly and implicitly that their worth is determined by what they look like. Our world offers the standard of beauty, and as women, we spend a lot of our time measuring ourselves up to that standard. One distinct memory that I have growing up, I can remember and see myself at 12 years old. I was trying on some new clothes in my room and I looked in the mirror and I can remember distinctly thinking, you aren't beautiful. You don't look like those women in the advertisements. You don't even look like the women that you know. You're not beautiful. And I know that I'm not alone in this journey to seeing myself as beautiful. A study in 2016 found that nearly all women, 85%, and girls, 79%, say that they opt out of important events like getting involved in an organization that they love or spending time with friends and family because they don't like what they look like. Eating disorder statistics provided by the National Eating Disorder Association indicate that 10 million American women suffer from eating disorders. There are so many of us who are struggling with unhealthy attitudes towards food and suffering from body image dissertation. Leah Darrow was one of those girls. She appeared on America's Next Top Model and she was in a successful modeling career. But she discovered how a focus on physical beauty alone led to a culture of use. Today, Leah and I talk about how true and lasting beauty can only be found in a relationship with God. The desire that we have for beauty is not a bad thing. It reveals that we're actually desiring true beauty, and that is the beauty that comes with an intimate friendship with God. So I hope you enjoy this show. Today's episode was brought to you by Sock Religious. Sock Religious is a mom and pop shop specializing in fun Catholic socks. Sock Religious aims to bring the faith to the workplace and to spice up your Sunday best. Check out Sock Religious in today's show notes at oldfashionedgirlblog.com and support this podcast and a small Catholic business all at the same time. We are welcoming to the show Leah Darrow, a former contestant on America's Next Top Model. She has a driving passion to inspire women to do something beautiful with their lives. She's an international Catholic speaker, writer, the host of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, as well as the author of The Other Side of Beauty. Leah, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you on. Well, thanks. I'm really happy to be here. So I first heard your story in the summer of 2013 as a high school senior. I was at a Steubenville Youth Conference, and in this auditorium filled with thousands of Catholics, you could hear a pen drop when you shared your story. And I think it's such a beautiful witness to hope and to joy. But for women who haven't encountered your story, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? I was raised Catholic. Um, Great family, great parents, uh, still great family, still great parents, Um, And it was when my family moved from Oklahoma, where I was born and raised, and all my family still is, to St. Louis, Missouri, where things began to shift a little bit for me. Um, And so from there, what what shifted, obviously, was the lack of um, the environmental support for the faith. I didn't have anybody around me that that really practiced Catholicism, nobody to kind of guide me outside of those, you know, two parents I have in my, in my home. That was a really, really big impact in my life. Um, I think people can still see that in their own lives as if you, if people transition to different seasons of life and they don't have the support and faith and they find that it's, it's, it's very hard to keep up where you want to be in the faith or want to grow in without people around you to support you and the environment around you that would 
allow that to happen easier uh, and more fruitful at times. And so, you know, that was like the first big thing that really hit me. Of course, I didn't understand it then. I was only 15 when, when, when we moved. I was in the middle of high school. I get to a new school. And, and when, I went, when I was 15, what had happened is I get this new group of friends. No, no one's Catholic. No one's, you know, practicing any type of uh, Christian faith that really adheres to the gospel. There were some that are definitely Christian, but that didn't mean anything in terms of what they did or did not do with in their life. And it got to the point where at 15 during homecoming dance um, or after the homecoming dance, all these parties and everything where I lose my virginity um, with my boyfriend. And I um, I chose to do something out of my own free will, um, out of confusion and not sure, not sure kind of what to do. All my friends were kind of doing that. It sounds pretty pathetic, but that is the case. And there was just no other voice outside of what I heard from my parents, which was pretty – it wasn't very clear. It was just like, just don't do that. And, but it, it seemed like they were even afraid to approach the topic. And I understand as a parent now, it's it's a hard topic. It, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it at all. But for my parents, they didn't know really – how far to go and when and, and when to really talk about it, I think, um, looking back on it now. And, you know, my parents are also a product of a lack of formation within the universal church, too. I mean, the catechism didn't really come out till like, what, 97? I mean, so we're, you know, there's an effect here for all things. And and it got to the point where I and at 15, I made this decision. And what really happened for me, as soon as it happened, I went to the bathroom and I locked the door and I turned on the faucet so that he wouldn't hear me cry. Mm. I'm crying alone in this bathroom at 15, realizing that I should not have done it, realizing that this is definitely not what I thought it was going to be. It's not what they tell you in the movies. It's not what they, they, they portray from even what your friends say. And you're just felt alone and abandoned and vulnerable. And it was really inside the bathroom where something even worse happened than the actual act and sin of me, you know, giving myself away. Right. And that was, I listened to the fear into the lies that I could not be forgiven, that I was a lost cause, that I was my mistake. And because I had such a good faith and because my parents were so faithful, that there was more justice and damnation for me because I should have known better and I should have done something and I should have, I should have, you know, and I didn't even quite know what I should have done. I just know I shouldn't have done that. I began to listen and I believed it. I believed it. I took that lie from the liar hook, line and sinker. And I began to live out of that lie and out of that fear for the next 10 years of my life. So the next decade was a life lived out of, um, fear and out of the lie that I just was not good enough for God or faith or church. I could not be forgiven because of what God had given me prior to this point, and I had just thrown it away. Salvation's for everybody else, but it's not really for me. I mean, and if God did forgive me, it would be more like, okay, Leah, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. And so that mentality is what brought me into a lot of a lot more destruction in my own life. Because if I didn't think I was worthy of God's mercy and God's love, then, well, I chose to do a lot of other things. Because why not? I'm already screwed up. I'm already a lost cause. I'm already one of those girls. Why not just embrace that? And so I kind of, my spiritual director at this point, so to speak, became culture. 
And so I allowed culture to tell me what it was to be a woman, what a feminist should look like, according to the world, what, you know, a woman who's who's in control. She's in control of her life and what she does with her body and what she does for work and how she spends her money and what her relationships look like and the type of, you know, apartment or loft that she lives in. And everything was just going to be so super extra glamorous because I was in control. At least that's the lie that I always told myself, especially as I was walking down the streets of New York after I was living there. I'd already been on Top Model. I was off of that. And then I was working professionally as a fashion model in New York. And I told myself those lies constantly just so that I could keep my head above water, which was barely happening. Um, Because the reality is, is that I was terribly unhappy, incredibly depressed, anxiety. I had suicidal ideation. All the things that you would be, you would never tell anybody. You're, you're mortified to even mention out loud. But that was me. My relationships were horrible, going from guy to guy to guy to guy, using them, letting them use me, all in the name of right freedom. And because I can, it just all got to this boiling point where I was in the middle of a fashion photo shoot in New York, and it just got to the point where, make a really long story short, or a not so short story. Not as long. God touched my heart in a very profound way during this photo shoot. And so I was there. I just heard God touch my heart and speak to my heart in the middle of work. And I just thought, what is this? And I heard him say, I made you for more. And I just, I just stopped. I just thought, what? I heard it again. I made you for more. I made you for more. And I I was, my eyes flooded with tears. I could not stop it. It wasn't like a moment where it was coming over me. It was instant. It was just, it was without warning floodgates. And I wasn't boohooing, but it was just constant. I just was filled with an emotion outside of myself. And I knew that whatever that statement was and from whomever it came from, it was true. And it was just true. That was it. It was just true that this was not supposed to be the life I was called to. And I didn't quite know what to do outside of you just need to leave and get out of this situation right now. And so I did. I I walked out of this photo shoot in the middle of it with the people there, not very happy with that situation. But I, I did walk out. I walked all the way home to my apartment in New York and I got home. And the only thing I did was I just called my dad. And um, I called my dad and I asked for help. And I just said, hey, if you don't come and get me, I'm going to lose my soul. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely serious about that. Um, That was not an understatement. It was not a dramatic point. It was this was literally life or death for me. I knew I was not strong enough to handle the next steps in my life alone. Um, Things were very, very dark. Much to my surprise, to be honest with you, my dad actually responded. And he says, "Okay, baby, I'm coming to get you. And my daddy drove 2,000 miles to pick me up, and that began my journey back home to the Catholic Church. That's so beautiful. That's incredible. I love how that story just emphasizes the fact that like we cannot do this alone. We're meant to be in community with others, whether that's our family, our community, or, or those around us and friendships and how important those authentic friendships are. Yes, absolutely. It's so important, and I don't think we talk about it enough And outside of talking about it, we're not implementing it enough. And so that's, you know, that's, you know, that's a problem in any organization or group or church is that there's sometimes, sometimes we just don't talk about things and we don't bring them to light. And then the other part is we don't do anything about it after we talk about it. So 
you know, we have to dig deep, reach deep within ourselves, find that moxie God's given you and, and do something about it. I love it. So today, in today's episode, we're going to be hope, you know, hopefully, God willing, doing both of those things, exposing some lies that we're told about our self-worth as women, and then doing something about it, reclaiming that idea of true beauty as Catholic women. And so the world sells us the lie that we as women are objects, or we see this in advertisements where our bodies are photoshopped until they're no longer recognizable. And we know that people are meant to be loved and not used. Why do we as women keep holding ourselves up to this perpetually unsatisfying standard of beauty that the world offers us that's focused on just our bodies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my opinion, it comes from two places. One, the great desire for beauty that is good, so good. Yes. Like desiring beauty. You should be desiring beauty. If you're not desiring beauty, I love you, but there has been a distortion in your mm. heart, in your life, that you need to allow Christ and his mother to unravel. That is not okay. We cannot, cannot put think that beauty is the enemy. So why do we buy into this? The first reason is because we desire beauty. We desire beauty. The second reason I believe that we buy into these things, that even as you mentioned at the heart level, we know are wrong, is because out of the distortion of beauty also, but but the distortion of, of living out of fear, I, 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 that I'm afraid I won't be loved if I don't look or do or act like that. It's two pieces. It's, it's, and that's why it's challenging constantly in the spiritual life to keep balance in, 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 in our very life of what we do, of how far we, how far we dive into the world, how far, like how much do we pull back? Because we have this desire for beauty and we're drawn to beauty. And at the same time, though, because of original sin and because of who we are, and we live in a broken world and we're broken people. Sometimes a lot of our decisions or our drives or even our passions are, are pulled into certain areas because of a fear of not being enough, not being loved, of not being wanted. And I think that a lot of times we can find ourselves in one of those two camps of why we've chosen to do something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love speaking into that fear as well. So whether it's photos that people take of us or what we post on Instagram, or even sometimes when we get up in the morning and get ready our own reflection in the mirror, it's easy to buy into this fear or to believe the lie that we are only as good as what we see in a picture or in the mirror. So how do we overcome that fear and see ourselves as God made us to be and tap into that beauty that is good, that's inherently pointing back to the fact that we're created by God? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the key question, right? Like, that's, if we can answer this one in this podcast, I mean, the whole we world We are set. <laughs> All right, everybody, listen up, because here's, here, here, here's the key, right? Like, that's... Absolutely. This is the question we constantly ask ourselves. Right. Um, and the reality is, is that if you're brave enough to ask yourself the question, if you're brave enough to pose this in your own life, be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be able to say, why is this not enough for me? Looking at your reflection. Why do I believe this is not enough for me? Because God looks at us 
even in our physical reflection of a mirror and sees us and he says, wow, I did a really good job with her. So why are we not seeing as how God sees? One is because we're not seeing as God sees. We're not. God's not just looking at how we, if we did a side part or middle part of her hair. He just doesn't really care too much, I think. I mean, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, they both look good. I mean, whatever you want to do, it's, 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 it's a preference, you know. I mean, I made you with the head with many parts. You can move those hairs any way you want. I still know the number on your head. Yep. I mean, but what God sees and what God, what, what really matters, obviously, is the heart. And so going back to your question, how do we do this? Well, one, we need to redefine our terms. We've allowed, possibly, I know for myself, I can speak, this is true for me. And it's true, I think, for many, many women. But we've allowed ourselves to have culture redefine this word of beauty for us. We've given them authority on something that they do not have authority on. So we are going to this facade of an expert culture thinking that they have got all of the answers so that we can be satisfied when it comes to the desire for beauty. So the first thing I I truly believe is truth. Truth will help us, right? Truth, goodness, and beauty. And so we need to make sure that we define our terms. That, that, That was a key concept and has been a key concept in my entire life given to me by my one of my favorite professors ever, um, Professor Douglas Bushman, who's at the Augustine Institute. And I have, I've been taught by him and, and he constantly in every single class, um, in every single interaction, I'd be speaking about something and he would stop me and be like, Leah, define your terms. Mm-hmm. When you say this, what do you mean? And it really reorients the conversation that we can have with ourselves when we're talking about beauty. So how do you define beauty? And I think if you can be honest with yourself and, and, you know, if you want to take some time, journal it out for you, maybe just seeing it on paper will help you see the lies within it. And maybe you already know, but it might be good. It might be a good exercise for all of us to do just that is how do you define beauty? Is it just the exterior or is it also encompass, you know, a lifestyle and a way things appear or look not just in clothing and the accessories of us, but also, how we portray ourselves to other, that we, all of this could be, you know, summed up in a beautiful life. So to help, you know, reorient that back to truth is defining beauty, seeing how we define it, and then also look to see how God defines it, because God speaks of beauty. In fact, God is beauty. That's like one of the key concepts that we often miss out on. We desire beauty, and because that desire is good, that, that desire is good because it's actually an attribute of God. Beauty is an attribute of God. So when we are desiring true beauty, what we're really desiring is God himself. And when we can redefine beauty in terms of how God gives it to us, which is two concepts, it's holiness and wholeness. God wants healing within us. He wants us to be whole. We cannot be perfectly whole this side of heaven, but God is still wanting to work on us here on earth so that we can be with him in full communion after death. And so beauty, a beautiful life, the beauty that God wants to radiate in our soul that is him is about holiness and it's about being whole and wholeness. And so 
going back to that, like one of the first things we need to do is just redefine our within. How are we defining beauty? And then looking at how God actually defines beauty in that process. I think that's a great way to start in terms of how do we how do we reclaim beauty in our life? Well, let's first just see how we're buying into the lie. What does that look like in our life? And then reorient ourselves to the truth of what what beauty really is. I mean, Aquinas, I, I, I talk about this in the book, and it's probably best that you grab a copy and read it so that you can have this time to spend to look at it. But Aquinas speaks about this as well. Philosophers, scriptures, they all have things to say about beauty and how God sees it. And Aquinas talks about three um, elements of something that is beautiful, regardless if it's a sculpture, a person, or something in nature, that it's got proportion, it's got integrity, and it's got a splendor or radiance. Those three elements are present in every every single item. And that's what we're drawn to. People are drawn to things that are um, more whole, things that are, 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 that have like an integration that are there through and through. And so beauty is not just something physical, but it's also an attribute. It is virtue, you know, going back to like a real life example, because it, we can talk about these things in the, in, in, in the abstract and it sounds right, but you're trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's next Leah? When I think about a beautiful person. And again, I mentioned this in my book. One of the first people that stands out to me when I see someone like who is beautiful, according to these, this definition from God and for how, how God sees it in scripture and how he has shared it with us. Um, I think of mother Teresa. I was there for her canonization in Rome just a few years ago. I'm old enough to where I grew up with her. Um, I was a senior in high school when she died and her whole life made a huge impact on my life. This is a woman who's five foot nothing, hunched over, um, wrinkles everywhere, feet are deformed. And at the time of her life, she was the most photographed woman in the world. And you have to wonder, like, why was the world obsessed with her? Why was the world photographers, the ones who were taking pictures of all the supermodels, obsessed with trying to capture her? And I truly believe that's because there is a beauty that she radiated that was something out of this world. And that's because she was beautiful and she allowed her life to be a reflection of the sacred heart of Christ. That, that she, allowed, she allowed herself to be consumed by the love of Jesus. And therefore her work and her life was simply beautiful. It was just beautiful. And when you say her name, when you look at a picture, you can't help but smile. You're just like, wow. And that's because holiness and wholeness is beautiful. That's the beauty we actually crave is that, the beauty that actually does something good. And so that's the beauty that will last. The lipstick and the, the, all the exterior stuff, the great shoes, the great clothes, trust me, I think it's fun too, but that's not going to last. But if we build up beauty in our souls, that will carry over to eternity. That's the beauty that we really want to hold on to because in the end, we really do want our beauty to last. We don't want our beauty to be just inside of a jar. And once that the lotion is gone, then the beauty's gone, right? We want our beauty to last. And so... I think starting there as a really long explanation, but starting there, I think is a great, is a great spot to begin. So advertisements and social media try to sell us the lie that the amount of stuff that we have dictates how happy we are or dictates how beautiful we are. So when it comes to assessing 
our clothing and our makeup choices? How can we live a life of simplicity and realize that we're more than what's hanging in our closet or what's in our makeup bag? Yeah. So again, beauty and clothing are not like inherently evil or something or sinful, right? Um, that's that's good. I mean, it's not like if someone chooses not to wear makeup, it's not like they're holier than the person who decides to put on concealer and some mascara. Right. That's important to note. But it also goes into why, like, what is the reason that we're putting all of this on us? So makeup or clothes or whatever. So like, what are the intentions? As with our whole life, the spiritual life is about like what goes on in the heart, right? And our our interior life affects the exterior works of our life. So what's going on in our heart when we um, when we use these pieces of external beauty? Are they are they accentuating the natural beauty or are they covering it up and making us look like someone else or someone that's just, or just not us? And so, you know, makeup's a great example. That can definitely make us look like it, depending on how what how you put it on and how much you put on, it can make you, it can, it can change the look completely of someone Mm -hmm. and it can, it can insinuate different things as well. We want to be, we desire to be authentic. We desire to be truly who we've been made to be. And so even with those choices and in our, in our clothing and in our makeup, it's just, hopefully those are pieces in our life that are extension of our personality, of our likes and our dislikes, um, but still reflect or help accentuate the authentic self of the person. You know, I have, I have a, I have a girlfriend of mine who she has a deep affection for the color yellow. It's like, this is like a serious thing, not just her love for it, but like it's connected to her spiritual life. Like Mm. she is it's beautiful how she speaks of it. It can initially it can, we can talk about the you know frivolous side of it, but she, God shows up to her in these yellow moments of her life. It's really beautiful. It's deeply profound when I speak to her about it too, because you can see when I talk to her, this is something that's more than just a color. This is of course a color given to us by God, right? He's the author of beauty. He created color and flowers and everything. So for her, she loves also wearing yellow. She loves sporting yellow anytime she can. She gravitates towards it. And you might think, wow, that girl just likes yellow. But for her, it's something more and deeper. And it's an expression truly of something deeper in her life, something more authentic about her and an expression of how she shares her her charism and her spirituality with the world and expresses well, how Christ, you know, responds to her. Now, we all don't have to have necessarily a color that like God's speaking us to. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that. But the reality is is that we we don't have to be afraid of these things, but we also don't want to let them dominate our lives to where all we're thinking about is what we're going to be putting on and how how it's going to look for this or that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted by that. And maybe it's because I actually worked in a profession where that's what it's all about that has helped my exhaustion in it. But I just don't care anymore sometimes. I'm just like, it just doesn't matter. Um, As long as I'm wearing something that upholds my dignity. So it's something that, you know, it's modest and, 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 you know, lays nice on me and on my body. I just, it's just sometimes too much. It's a lot of energy that we can put into things that may not be a true reflection of who we are. And I've realized in my own spiritual life and the journey that Christ has, has, is, is putting me on, 
We just have very little time here. We have very little time on this earth. You only have so many hours. You have only so many days for all of us. And what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use your time? What are you going to spend worrying about or, or fixating on? And I've just spent in my own life too much time worrying about what other people think of me. And I've spent too much time worrying about what other people think of my outfit or even how I look. For me personally, I've done that. And I've just decided to refuse to do that anymore. And a piece of reclaiming beauty in our own life, I think, comes with the freedom of knowing that God looks at you regardless of what you wear or what you put on yourself. And he finds you very good. And he has things for you to do in this world. Things that only he's given you to do. And we should sometimes forget so much about the outfit that we have on or the eyeliner we've we've strategically and perfectly placed on us and maybe be focusing on the fact that someone needs us to be Christ to them. And we should just go do that. I love how speaking into that, the fact that this is a choice, like these things are inherently bad or evil. We have a choice and, and free will to interact with them. I recently have become a lot more aware of the fact that what I buy impacts other people's lives. Um, can you speak into the beauty of ethically produced clothing or beauty supplies and, or this idea of rejecting fast fashion or realizing that our purchases do affect the lives of others. They absolutely do. Um, if you think that they don't, I mean, you're wrong. <laughs> they do. Um, it's, it's a piece that most people I have come to find out as I, as I speak about ethical fashion once in a while it's, it's an element that I find people just become exacerbated with. They're just over it. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't believe it, but they're like, great, one more thing that I have to worry about. One more thing that I've got to focus on what I need to buy. And that, I believe, is because we've gotten very much used to this consumeristic society, materialistic as well, where we need something, we go out and get it. And we, we, we don't even ask ourselves, like, do I really need it? It's just, well, I feel like I need it, right? right. And so we have the new event or something's coming up in our, in, our, in our calendar and we have an event to go to. And, well, I want to wear some, something new. Well, I'm going to go shopping. Mm-hmm. Like, no one at that event knows your wardrobe. Every, anything Anything you would wear would be new to them. So if we're... So what, so like the idea that like we go out quickly and we just buy something and we, we kind of don't even know like what, who we're buying from and what's happening in, in this is just this blind, where it's just a blindness to our connection to the human family. Um, so fast fashion is a concept that has been, it's now spoken about a lot, a lot more than it used to be fast fashion and then ethical trade and ethical fashion. So fast fashion is the concept of, okay, so a long time ago, very quickly, let me give a quick fashion history lesson. A long time ago, um, I mean, like 50, 60 year, years ago, not not that long, but the fashion houses would come out with about four fashions a, 
uh, four fashion seasons a year. So mm-hmm. they would correspond to the season, um, spring, summer, winter, and fall. And so the big designers would out there, and during the run- runway shows, they would show the new things for each of the seasons as they would pop up. Okay, so there's like four se- seasons. Now, with garment factories popping up everywhere, especially outside of the U.S., these garment houses have tons of employees that are being paid just pennies a day, and they are producing a lot more because now what we've seen in the Western Hemisphere, mostly America, also Western Europe, is that we are producing more fashion than ever before. Mm-hmm. So we, instead of having four fashion seasons, we now have 52 and yeah, we have a new fashion season for every week of the year. So that's a huge problem. That's what that's what's called fast fashion is that we have to, of course, we the fashion industry has to produce these fashions so quickly to keep up with the demand of the new thing. You'll see this in stores all the time. Um, stores like H&M is a huge proponent of fast fashion and i know that they have their conscious collection that they are now touting but that's only one section of their store the rest is all fast fashion so don't let it fool you into thinking oh well they've got the they've got these this one group of clothing that they're they're more conscientious about where they're sourcing the materials and who they're paying no H&M is a major conglomerate where they are sending out most of their stuff for fast fashion and they're sending out to garment factories where people are not being paid well. They're not being treated well. People are being forced to come back to work when buildings are unsafe. That happened um, in Bangladesh, I believe, just a few years ago where a garment factory, local engineers came in and deemed it unsafe. They said, yeah, you should not have your employees come back in here. The owner of the factory said, no, everybody come back tomorrow. We have to get the, this job done. We had, So it was just, you know, the bottom dollar was just, you know, driving everything. And the, 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 the employees, mostly women, came back the next day to work, and the building collapsed and killed over 2,000 mm-hmm. of them. So that's, I mean, this is just one drop in the bucket, sadly, yeah. these souls that die. This happens more often than you think. And if they're not being collapsed by a building they're not being paid hardly anything women in these factories are working you know anywhere between 12 and 18 hours a day they have children that they have to schlep off to other villages so people can raise them because they have to work to get this money Um, some women have admitted to even having abortions because they were not allowed to be pregnant in their job and if they Mm -hmm. found out they were pregnant they would lose their job if they lost a job they couldn't feed their family at home and then they'd be you know they would they would be They'd be back to a situation where they'd be in even dire straits of poverty than they already are. So our our purchase power is just that. It has power. When we put money behind brands that are ethically sourced and ethically made and are paid, their employees are paid a fair wage, we're supporting so much more than just the fashion itself. We're supporting the ideology that we all do belong to one another, that we are human family and that what we do matters. What we do matters, even in this small piece. And I know it can be exhausting to think about, well, great, Leah, one more thing I have to think about. But shouldn't it be? I'm sorry. Shouldn't you care? I, I, I just get so pissed when people say that to me. And I'm like, what the heck? You should care about what your dollar does and how it affects other people. And here's the other thing. Our closets are full to the brim with clothing that we don't even like. 
Where will it end? Where will it stop? I mean, you know, that it's just for me, I've become so passionate about this because I am so frustrated with my own self because I've seen this. I see this in my own life and I'm like, Leah, look at your closet full to the brim with clothes. And yet you feel like you've got nothing to wear. Mm -hmm. And it was it was it was a good friend of mine, Sarah Kroger, who said the same thing to herself and she 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 sent me a text message and she was like she sent me a picture of her closet she's like will you help me figure out something to wear for this speaking event that I'm doing that she went to go play some music at and she goes I feel like I just need to go shopping mm. and I just I looked at her closet and this picture she sent me full to the brim I mean like clothing is like coming out of everything and I was realizing that that's my closet too and I called her and I was like what is wrong with us like what's wrong with us we're here talking about the gospel to people. We are preaching the word of the Lord through speech and through song for Sarah. And why why do we not why do we not see this this call to simplicity in our own life? And it was then that Sarah and I decided to to begin this closet challenge. And so we decided for ourselves to do it. We would do a closet challenge for 30 days where we pick out just seven items of clothing that we would wear. And we would have seven items for 30 days. And we would wear these just these seven items for 30 days. And that, we did that, gosh, I think now three years ago. That has absolutely changed my life, doing the closet challenge. Obviously becoming more aware of ethical fashion and fast fashion and the problems within that, how we're connected and how it affects other people. But then the practicals of what to do after that, I we knew that we needed some type of detox. And what it allowed us to experience is this simplicity and freedom and the detachment from the material goods and the detachment of thinking what I wear is somehow tied to my identity or my worth. Here's the thing. If I can just just kind of wrap up a few things to say this. We need passionate, intense women in this world mm-hmm. who are passionate about the truth, who want to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am nowhere near perfect. I make mistakes every day. But I one thing I do praise God for is the gift he's given me of courage to speak out and to do hard things. And I am not unique. I'm unique to God, but that's it. We all can do this. We all can can become brave. We all can speak out. We all can do things that are beautiful for God. We can do these things. We can take up and become a new, growing majority in the church where we speak up, we know our faith, we become informed, we are inspired and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we live that out each and every day. Because every single one of you are your own gospel that God is writing in you right now. You are living and walking the gospel of whoever you are. I am I am living and walking the gospel of Leah. God is writing his gospel within my heart, and he's doing the same for each and every willing person. And so whatever it is that Christ is calling you particularly to be passionate about in his sacred life, be bold and be courageous to do that because we need everybody. We need everybody with their all their different desires and passions and, and charisms to come together, especially women, and to help our church not fall. Amen. That's the truth. It's so true. For women who are wanting to dive deeper into any of the topics that we've talked about, your book, your podcast, your speaking, where can they find out more about these topics and what you've written on them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So my book is The Other Side of Beauty, and you can grab it. The easiest way, honestly, is just to grab it on Amazon. So that's that book, The Other Side of Beauty. Um, for, for You can connect with me at my website, leahdarrow.com. For social, I'm really mostly just on Instagram these days, so that's at leah.darrow. Um, and yeah, just connect with me there. Um, I've got my podcast, Do Something Beautiful, and you can hear me rant about this and many <laughs> other topics. Um, but I actually, I don't rant too much. I try to keep myself from that because I have a tendency to do that. So in my podcast, I actually just interview other people who are doing beautiful things in the world, like yourself. Um, and so, yes. So, uh, yeah, you can connect with me in all those different areas, um, and I do respond back. So, yeah, let, let me know how I can serve you. Beautiful. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story, Leah. It's been just really beautiful to talk to you about living authentically as women of God. Amen. Well, thank you so much for having me. Seriously, you are a joy and, and so kind and letting me just kind of ramble in so many areas. <laughs> Praise be to God for that. I really do appreciate it. And I'm just so happy to be here. And if there's anything else I can do to serve you or your listeners, you just let me know. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed Leah and I's conversation, please share it with a friend. If you have a spare minute, take a moment to review and rate the podcast on iTunes. I love reading through reviews and seeing what you think of Letters to Women. One of the reviews that I loved was from WC Sarah 2012, and she left a review about the show saying, I love being able to learn more about how to be a Catholic woman and what it means to be a Catholic woman, no matter where you are in life or what you're doing. Find the show notes for today's episode on my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, and there you'll also find resources that Leah and I mentioned in our conversation today. That's all I have for this week, but until the next time that we visit and explore the feminine genius together, be not afraid.